Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Well, church family, as I was singing that song, uh, just kind of remember the original audience that that was given to. Remember, there's a great blessing that God has bestowed upon the nation of Israel. In Genesis chapter 12, God said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And as I'm listening to the song, may his face shine upon you, and may his peace be upon you. I was compelled in my spirit that we should pray for the nation of Israel. I just want to ask you just to pray with me. I'm going to verbalize a prayer. Maybe you want to say your own, but I want us to stand with the nation of Israel and be obedient to the scriptures. And let's just pray for the nation of Israel this morning. God, who really am I today? I'm just somebody who's been grafted in. Somebody, God, that you've had deep grace upon. I realize today that my faith is rooted in promises that you've given to your people. Lord, I see that your people, God, today are being threatened and killed and challenged yet again. God, I pray that you would turn your face toward Israel today, that you be the lifter of her head, and truly that you would bring the prince of peace to bear upon Israel. I know there are many who are caught up in all this. Lord, I pray that you would minister to each and every person, no matter what side of the issue they're on, that today you would bring your peace to bear upon that area, that part of the world, not only by just a ceasefire of missiles, but Lord, an outright opening of eyes to see Jesus as the Messiah. I beg you, God, today that Maybe you would do like you've done with others. Lord, if you just see a few righteous people in the United States of America that are for Israel, you would not curse us. I beg you, God, to forgive any and all who would take a a stand against Israel. I beg you, Lord, today to minister to all those boys and girls, no matter what side they're on, God, that today there's war happening. And God, I'm begging you to minister. Show us how to minister. Burden our hearts for what's happening in the other parts of the world, but protect your people and protect their land for you have given it to them. And I pray it in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. About 350 years ago, there was a shipload of people that traveled and they landed on the northeast coast of America. The first year, they established a town site. The next year, they elected a town government. And then the third year, the town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. In the fourth year, the people tried to impeach their town government because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. I mean, who needed to go there anyway? Here were people who had the vision to see 3,000 miles across an ocean and overcome great hardships to get there, but just in a few years, they were not even able to see five miles out of town. 
They had lost their vision. You see, with a clear vision of what we can become in Christ, there's no ocean of difficulty that's too great. But without a clear vision, we rarely move beyond our current boundaries. Did you know that over 100 years ago, First Baptist Church was started? Those people had a vision where we are. Today, just to tell you, I want to keep that vision alive. I don't want us to stay where we are. I want us to keep moving ahead. And this morning, I want to cast a vision for where we're going, where are we headed as a church. You see, we're in this series entitled, This Is My FBC. And so far, we've really kind of grounded in and got really into our mission. And really, it's this. Our mission is this. FBC exists. That's all right. I'll say it to you. FBC exists to embrace what, church? Great commandment love which fuels great commission living. Now, I've taken six weeks to to help you understand what that is. But this morning, I want to shift into how we're going to do that. I mean, how are we going to make that happen? Where are we headed with that? I want to talk about our vision. You see, vision really is a preferred picture of the future. It's not a picture of who we are and where we're actually going to be in the future. It, it's saying that's what we, what we are now. It's what we're wanting to be. It's where we've got we've to go. There's a lot of work to get there. So it's not where we're at now, but it's where we want to go. Vision must be vertical to God. Listen, and it must be horizontal to the church, but it also has to be horizontal to lost people. See, our vision for the future, listen to me, church, Our vision for the future must be greater than our memory of the past. Our vision for the future has to be greater than our memories of the past. We can't go back to the good old days because we've got some better days ahead. One of the things about vision is how do you get one? (laughs) Well, again, we need to look no further than the Lord Jesus and the Word of God. Amen? So as we begin, I want you to look at John chapter 4, verse 27 through 35. It's going to be on the screen here behind me. John chapter 4, 27 through 35. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Now, the background is is that Jesus has showed up. He's had to go through Samaria, and he's sitting at a well talking about things with this woman who's a Samaritan, and they're kind of hanging out. The disciples have kind of went away to get some food. So they've come back, and they're, they're amazed. Did y'all, did y'all read that? They're, they're amazed that he's speaking with a woman. We talked about that last week, right? Yet no one said, why do you seek? What do you seek? Or, or why do you speak with her? No one even asked him that. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done This is not the Christ, is it? And they went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did they? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Listen, this is very interesting to me. 
mean, what just happened? Jesus has said, I, I must needs go through Samaria. Then he goes to a well, and there's a Samaritan woman, and they begin to talk about physical water. And then Jesus speaks of some living water, some spiritual water. And as they talk, he tells her that he knows that she's had about five husbands, and the person that she's living with right now is not her husband. She then perceives he's a prophet. Nah, pretty good guess. More talk about worship and truth and, and sir, but then Jesus reveals to her that he's the Messiah and she gets really excited. You know why? Because for the first time in her life, she feels like she belongs to somebody. She hasn't been judged by her sin. So this is super exciting to her. And the disciples have gone into town because they're hungry. And they come back as they're walking up. She goes and leaves in front of them. She's leaving as they're coming. The disciples don't really ask about anything. The only thing they can ask about is, hey, has somebody got you something to eat? <laughs> so Jesus was spending time with the very least of these, and the Bible says they didn't even ask. Didn't even want to know about it. What were they interested in? The only thing they were interested in was physical things like food. What were they missing? They were missing the harvest. They didn't see the harvest. They didn't have a vision for the harvest because the harvest just walked right in front of them. The harvest was that Samaritan woman. The harvest is all people in need of a Messiah. The harvest is people that are far from God and need the Lord Jesus. And that person just walked right in front of them and they missed it. So here's the point. Here's what the reason I give you the scripture to start this out with. Here's the point. To gain a vision for our lives, to gain a vision for ministry, to gain a vision of our church, we must be looking at what Jesus is looking at. And Jesus is looking at people. If we're going to see what Jesus sees, we have to be looking at people because that's why he came for people. So this is how and where we get a vision. We look to Jesus and his word and our vision then must be about people and moving them into relationship with Jesus. I'm going to do something right now that may make some of you feel awkward and it's okay. You do not have to speak, but I'm going to go around and I'm just going to ask if anybody Anybody has a vision for that, what they would want people to experience in their tenure here at First Baptist Church? In other words, what would you want somebody to experience in this church, from this church, through this church? What would you want them to have happen? What would you want them to experience? What would you want them to know? What would you want them to feel? What is it that you would want for people? I'm going to come down, and if anybody wants to speak, hey, just raise your hand up. I'm going to hear you, and I'll repeat it in the microphone for everybody so you don't have to speak in a microphone. You don't have to really stand up. I've just got to be able to hear you. So think about it just for a minute on my way down. So, Sam, I'm coming, and uh, this will be the time where feedback can get crazy. We're going to try it. All right, we're good. So maybe I want to ask the question like this. What would somebody want? I see some really young people right here, and I think that's awesome. What would somebody want a fifth grader in this church to experience while they're at, at First Baptist Church? Anybody? What would you want a fifth grader to know, to feel, to think through? What would you want them to feel and know? Yes, Susan. Awesome. So she said, man, she'd love for them if they don't know Christ to know Christ and then to be able to grow. 
but then to also have other kids their age to be able to do life and to grow with. Man, that's a pretty exciting vision. And I would love to see that for every fifth grader to know Christ, to grow in Christ, and be surrounded by people who love Christ. That would be awesome. Anybody have an idea what you would want maybe a high schooler, a high schooler, maybe a ninth, tenth grader to experience and know while they're here at First Baptist? A high schooler. Gordon? I would hope that their vision would be to build a testimony Hmm. that they can share the love of the Lord Jesus Christ as they go forward in life and they grow, they increase their sanctification, and then they're able to... Okay. So basically he's saying... He would love for them to be able to have a testimony that was valid. In other words, that their life really was lived for the Lord and they would stand out and that they would be able to grow in the knowledge of the Lord through their own life, being made more like him. I think that's really cool. What would somebody want somebody? I see a hand over here. I see this young hand. We love it when children speak. Amen. Tell me, buddy, what would you think? Oh, man, he said he would want them to know God is loving. Woo! Out of the mouth of babes. Amen. And we're starting to get a vision now, right? What else? Who would, who would somebody, listen, what about a college person that's kind of went away to school and they come back here periodically? What would you want them to know and experience through First Baptist Church? Yes, Lucy. Mm. Amen. Mm. So Lucy says, man, she would want them to feel accepted. Sometimes we go away to college and things happen. We get sideways and stuff. But we want this church to be a place where no matter what you've done, no matter what you did, you come back here, we might not accept what you do, but we accept you, and you are always welcome here. Wouldn't that be a good place? Amen. And wouldn't you love that to be a part of a church, man, where you felt accepted no matter what you did, where you knew that God is loving, where you knew that, man, you could be taught the things of God and be able to put in place like Somebody tell me, what would you like for a person in their, their late 20s who just got married and they're kind of settling down. They want First Baptist Church to be their home. What would you hope would be their experience here at First Baptist Church as a young couple? Anybody? All right, did you? Uh, I, all right, hold on. Miss Rachel, I'm coming to you. Wayne, you can answer the next one. Huh? Okay, I'm listening to her. She said you get to speak. What would you hope? I would want them to see examples. Okay. Okay. So, so Wayne says he'd love for them to have some examples, and he used the word older. I don't know what that really means, but we'll leave that alone. Some older people that could, could help model for them. Right. So, so maybe they need some friends and some people to do it with them. Right. Maybe they need to figure out how to become what it is to be married. That's, uh, what I said. that's exactly what you said. Amen. <laughs> how about this? How about that couple in their, their early 40s? They've been struggling in their marriage, been struggling in their jobs, they're really they're starting to get into that crisis, man. We're getting that age, been married for a few years. Their, their kids are starting to get just a little bit older, starting to get into some of them teenage years, and, man, things are just going crazy. What would we want for that couple that, man, surrounded by just lots of just going through a hard time, a hard season in their life? What would we want for them to experience here at First Baptist Church? What would we want them to know? What would we want them to feel? Anybody want to speak to that? Oh, uh, let, me, let me take Lucy again. I'll come back to you, Gordon. Go ahead. Go ahead, Lucy. What would you want? Okay, so she said biblical, godly support. What does support look like, right? Is, is it coming along and saying, hey, you're, you're a failure until you get it all figured out? You ain't welcome here? I mean, until you believe like we believe, you know, you're not really welcome here. Is it, is it hey, you can stumble here. And you make a lot of mistakes here, and you can fail here, but we're behind you. We've got your back. Is that what you're talking about, Lucy? 
Okay, so that's what happened to you. So, so man, church has become that kind of a place for you. That's awesome. I love that. Hey, what would we want for that couple that's in their, they're in their 60s, they're starting to get to that retirement age, they're starting to really, they're, they're, their body's starting to slow down a little bit, they're not able to do what they used to do, but they're still gung-ho, they want to be a part. What would we say to a couple that's that, that, that age, about 60, 65, what would we want them to know and experience through First Baptist Church? Anybody? I'm sorry? Okay, so that they're ministering to the younger ones, they have a very valuable place. That their wisdom and their expertise is incredibly valuable. Okay. 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 That's awesome, Melissa. So he said, she said, that, that he said, <laughs> making sure we got the pronouns correct here. But she said that he said something very valuable, and I'm, I'm going to put a shameless plug in for it because I believe in it, but they want a date night, which we do here at the church, and the next one is June the 5th, by the way. Just sign up at the, sign up at the link. We're going to do some cornhole and some radical things, some barbecue for the fellas, and it's going to be awesome. But you said that on that date night, because they've been married for a little bit, they could speak into your life something that was incredibly valuable. You didn't really know them. But man, because they have an, an awesome place in the church, they're able to minister to you, to know that they're valuable, that their time isn't up, right? That they have tremendous value. I would love that. I'd love to be a part of a church like that. I think we got one, but we can, we can always grow. All right, but what about that person that's maybe in their late 70s, early 80s? Who, who, man, they're starting to lose some of their faculties, starting to lose sight, starting to lose hearing, starting to lose mobility, starting to really can't be a part of things like they used to. They can't really make it as much as they used to. Maybe they're sidelined. Maybe they're, they're pushed over to the edge. The world's kind of tuned them out. Their family members have all kind of turned their back on them, or maybe they're just isolated. They're, they're fearful. They're afraid. Maybe they're sick. What we want them to know and experience while here at First Baptist, what kind of a church would we want to be toward people like that? Anybody? Yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. She, she said to be available, to be available to help them and to make sure that they know they're not alone. Man, how, how, like if we just took a few of the things that we talked about in here and we just did that pretty consistently, what kind of church would we have? I mean, what kind of a place would this be, right? Can you see it? That's really what God wants his church to be. Some of those things, but like a whole lot more. And what I'm wanting to help us understand is, is we can be that kind of church. We really can. But, but how do we capsulize everything that everybody said? Like, what could be a statement that we could say to put our vision for what we want people to experience? How can we put that into a statement? That's where we're going. But we first got to look into the scriptures and see how... So what I want to do is I want to take you to a passage of Scripture this morning to where it's kind of laid out. But before I do, can I just tell you a little bit of the method to the madness? <laughs> you want to understand the biblical statement that I'm fixing to give you about our vision until you first remember some of the places that we've been. 
Right? We looked at some, this is a big word, it's called anthropology, it's the study of mankind. And we talked about that, that man is both fallen and alone. In other words, he's sinful, but he's alone. That's interesting. You talk about removing aloneness. We need God, listen to me, we need God and others because that's the way he designed it. That ain't just some statement I'm making. God said we need him to remove our sin and we need other people to remove our aloneness. That's his plan. That's how he set it up. So Jesus provides salvation and Jesus has provided the church, family, and friends to remove our aloneness. Then we had to look at Christology, the study of Christ. And we have this proper view of Christ. We said that he is not demanding, he's not disappointed, he's not distant, but rather he's passionate, pursuing, and praying for us. That's the kind of Jesus that we're selling here. That's the kind of Jesus that the Bible has. That's the kind of, we have to understand that because if we're going to make people feel like they matter and that they're accepted and that they're supported, we've got to treat them like Jesus would, Amen. Then we looked at the Bible, right? And we talked about how the Bible says that the law and the prophets hang on this one thing, to love God and to love people. That we've got to have the right things to believe and we've got to know the right way to behave. But the whole point is so that we could be something and that's to be in right relationship with God and people. That it can't be just about the rational truths of what we believe and what we do. It has to be about the relational truths of how we behave with one another in relationship. And so now that we're getting a handle on that, we can cast a vision based on that kind of understanding. But one important thing that's often missed is that vision must be for believers and non-believers. It can't be just for one group of people because the church is here to reach both. The church is here to equip the saints and to what? Give the gospel to those who don't know Jesus. So we have to have a vision that's big enough to handle both. Vision must be relational and rational. So again, I'm going to go to Jesus. I'm going to go to the word to help cast the vision. So I'm in Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Mark chapter 1, verse 17. And I wonder, could you just rise your feet as I read this beautiful verse, Mark chapter 1, verse 17. The Bible says this, and Jesus said to them, I want you to read it with me. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus said to them, say it again, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. You can be seated. May God bless his holy word. Here's the three parts of that verse that I can break down to help us as we point uh, an idea of where we're headed is, is simply this. The first one is Jesus provides a place to belong. Jesus provides a place to belong. Think about this. These are these ragtag fishermen that Jesus invites into relationship with him. He simply says, hey, just come with me. Just be with me. Follow me. Hey, hang out with me. And these were all uneducated men. Nothing, none of them were out of the ordinary. And that's so amazing. You know why? Because Jesus sees us all as special because we've all been created in his image. Every single person that's ever been born is an image bearer and God loves them. We're his creations and God loves his creation. And now another point that you kind of have to understand is that the these men would typically uh, would say, hey, we want to find a rabbi to follow. <laughs> but Jesus, as the rabbi, says, I'm looking for people to follow me. And he flips the custom on its head. That's important because Jesus is always the one who takes the initiative to seek people. That's important to know because 
Jesus loves us regardless of where we've been and what we'll ever do. Students would have the, the Torah as the basis as to why they would seek out a rabbi. Jesus had his own authority, and he says, I'm doing this because I'm God. Further, usually the student wasn't seeking really to follow the rabbi and to do relationship with the rabbi. They wanted to learn the Torah or the law from the rabbi. But Jesus, interesting, says, hey, it's not really all about that because the point of all that is so that you can be right with me. I just want you to follow me. I just want you to be with me. Well, take care of that stuff. So Jesus calls people to be with him. He says to come because he sees our value. He wants to remove our aloneness. And it's the start of what I call pre-discipleship. It starts with knowing that we matter and that we're important to Jesus. When Jesus called Matthew, the Bible says that he knew him. You see, providing a place to belong means that I am known and less alone. It's a place where people can be real and a place where people care. That's what Jesus was doing. He simply wanted them to be with him so that he could remind them that they mattered to him. It didn't matter to Jesus about their hurts. It didn't matter to Jesus about their habits. It didn't matter to Jesus about their hangups. Jesus just said, this is a place where you can belong. You come hang out with me. You belong with me. If we're going to be a church that provides a place to belong, then some things have to change. We have to give people permission for real people just to be real. It's got to be okay that the greatest or the least of sinners in all of us are the bad habits that we've got, that we can talk about it here without, without being judged, without the fear of not being accepted. Listen to me, it's got to become the normal pattern that we all don't walk in here pretending that everything's okay. Because I'm telling you, it's not okay. And it's got to be okay to not be okay. It's got to be the norm. It's got to be a place where, where we can understand that when I'm known, I'm really less alone. So we've got to get more vulnerable and be able to tell people what's really going on. But that means we have to be able to trust each other. And trust only comes after we really know each other. We've got to see people how Jesus sees them so we can love them as Jesus loves them. That was the message last week. We've got to learn to do this. We've got to learn to first relate to people before we react to people. We've got to first look at their needs before we react to their deeds. We've got to be willing to, to say, this is a place where no matter what you've been, no matter what you've done, you belong because you matter to God and you matter to us. So Jesus provides a place where people belong. But then secondly, Jesus provides a pathway to become. Jesus provides a pathway to become. He says there, follow me and I'll make you something. In other words, follow me and you're going to become something. The interesting thing is they didn't have to do anything to follow him. They didn't have to have this special knowledge of the Torah or the law. There wasn't a theological exam to pass. They would know what to learn and what to do simply just by watching and being with Jesus. They learned everything they needed to know just by becoming as he was going along. By having a place to belong, they could now walk with Jesus on the path to becoming. I mean, think about this. I don't know if you think about this a lot, but I do. For the first 18 months of the disciples' life, they didn't do anything. For the first 18 months, you read the Bible, for the first 18 months, they did nothing but just say, hey, I belong with you, and I, I'm becoming something, and I like what I'm starting to become. And then Jesus says, I, you know, 
I've got a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. Maybe y'all want to pass that out. And then they kept following him and they kept following him. And surely, but slowly he began to show them what it looked like to become like he was. They were simply with Jesus, watching him love people, raise people from the dead, cast out demons, teach in the synagogue. They were belonging and becoming. They were walking on the pathway of becoming and learning how to do things. And eventually, eventually able to do some things, they continued by learning about serving. They learned about the need for prayer. They learned about the reliance upon the Holy Spirit. They learned upon, about dying to themselves, about what sacrifice looked like, what sin does. Christ was changing their perspective from self to kingdom, from allegiance to their families to allegiance to the Father. And Christ was showing them this is what it looks like to become. You matter. You matter to me. You belong in relationship with me. And when you're there, you're going to learn what's most important. They learned by walking on the pathway with Jesus. Eventually, eventually what happens is that then they started wanting to be like him, to, to do like him, to love like him. So they start asking questions like this. Hey, we see that you pray in radically awesome ways. Can you teach us to pray? I mean, we've seen you have all this power to cast demons out. Why can't we do that? Can you tell us how we can cast that demon out? And see, here's the statement that I want you to understand, that people, people who are made to feel like they belong want to become like those to whom they belong. People who are made to feel like they belong want to become like those to whom they belong. And Jesus knew that. That's why he started with belonging. And he says, if you know that you matter to me and you can be in relationship with me, whether you believe that I'm Messiah or not, because we know Judas didn't, well, whether you believe that or not, you matter. And I want to show you how you can become. And listen to me, here's the truth. If we're going to be a church that provides a pathway for people to become, we've got to adopt some values. And one of those is this, you can't grow yourself by yourself. We need to be in relationship with people. We are better together, amen? We are so much better together. We have to experience Christ together. And that relevant discipleship is relational discipleship. You see, as I see this, as I want to do this, as I know that I matter, and I want to begin to become like those who I'm hanging around, there's this important, inevitable question that always comes up, and this is the third thing, that Jesus provides an opportunity to believe. Jesus then provides an opportunity to believe. You see, when we belong, we want to become. And then we realize that we can't become unless we believe. We can't become. I can't become like Jesus unless I believe in Jesus. I can't become like him unless my nature is changed from the inside out through salvation. And Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. These fishermen knew that, that fish were caught and killed and eaten. Jesus tells them that what they're going to be doing is to catch men, not to receive death and judgment, to be, to be freed and saved from it. They knew the hard work, persistence, and dedication, and the team effort required of fishermen. But before any of that fishing could be relevant to them, before they could catch any men, they first had to be caught. They had to be rescued themselves. They were going to have to believe what they were asking other people to believe. 
So these p- disciples are given a place to, be- to belong, a pathway to become, but ultimately they had to come to believe in Jesus. He loves them for a really long time. And then he shows them how to become all that God's asked them to be, but then he turns to them. And eventually everybody will have to ask and answer this question. It's found in Mark 8, 29. Mark 8, 29, he continued them by questioning him, but who do you say that I am? Every single person on planet Earth will have to eventually answer that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Everybody must be given an opportunity to believe in the gospel of Jesus. And Jesus, throughout his ministry, gave so many opportunities for people to believe. But he started with saying, you matter, and I want you to come do some life with me. And then he moved them to believe in John so understood it that John says in John 3, 36, he said, he who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John understood you have to believe. John 6, 67 is interesting. So Jesus said to the 12, I mean, lots of people were abandoning Jesus. Lots of people were saying, your teachings are far too difficult. And see, when we build a lot of relational cred with people, we can ask the really hard questions. You don't move away from sin in this kind of a model. You move actually more into it because now I can tell you the truth and you will receive it because you know I love you. And so Jesus turns to them and says, hey, listen, you people that I've said, hey, you matter and you belong. Now I'm asking you, who do you say that? You don't want to leave me too, do you? Because you still have God to believe. You still, there's no escaping. And then the reply is, the reply is astonishing. Justin prayed it this morning. Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's the first day we're experiencing belonging and becoming, and now they believe. And if we're going to be a church that provides opportunity for people to believe, we have to value some things. One of those is simply this. You have to understand that when you help people belong, you help them believe. That belonging is critical to believing. When you help people know that they matter, you will help them in their understanding of who the master is. You've got to live generously with your life. The gospel, listen to me, I know you probably, you want to argue with me about this, but I'm telling you, I don't know that you can disprove me. I'm telling you, the gospel is all about relationships. It's about a relationship with Christ, about a relationship with the Father, about a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and about a relationship with people. That's the gospel. It's about relationships. And you and I have to do whatever it takes short of sin to help somebody take the next step closer to Jesus. We have got to lay our lives down and say, you matter, your soul matters, and I will do whatever. Paul said, I would be accursed that my people would know Christ. We've got to be willing to do that so that people can believe. So then based on Mark 1:17 and many other passages which we'll look at, here's where we're headed as a church. Here's our vision. Our vision is to provide a place to belong, a path to become, and an opportunity to believe in the life-changing gospel of Jesus. That's where we're headed. We're going to make sure that people know they matter. 
We're going to make sure that people can do life with us, whether they believe or not, because we know eventually we're going to ask them whether they believe or not. We can't escape the gospel, amen. And we're headed there as quick as we can. We're just going to start a little bit differently, like I told you last week. We don't start where we started in past cultures. Most churches, if the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s were to roll around again, they'd be perfectly ready for them. We're not in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. We're in the 2000s, friends, and things have changed. And we've got to change the way we get the gospel out. We never change the method or the message of the gospel. Never. Never. I do not have permission to change the gospel, and I never will. But how I get there, God's given us freedom. That's why we've got to have a fresh vision that says, this is how we're going to get the gospel to the culture. It's all about the gospel. For heaven's sake, would you please know that? We have gotten this thing backward for too long. You know what we tell people? Here's what we tell people in church. We say, hey, listen, if you just believe what we believe, and if you just do what we do, then you'll fit in here. I mean, if you just believe everything we believe, we believe what we believe about sin, about the Bible, about Jesus, if you just believe that, then listen, you won't drink smoke or chew or go with girls who do? If you just get all that behavior stuff right and you show up without wearing a hat or in a miniskirt or all the other things that we put on people, you know, you might fit in here. I'm telling you, the hell with that. Because that's where it came from. That is not what Jesus said. We need to send that kind of philosophy back to the pit of hell. It is keeping people there. We have got to say, no, you matter to Jesus. You matter to God no matter what you've done. And I will risk my life to just be with you for an opportunity to share Jesus with you. What do I tell people? Like, you've got to get your lifestyle right before you can come in this church and hear the message of Jesus? No. No. And if listen, if you're living in sin right now, I want you to know this. Jesus wants to do something about your sin. But until he convicts you, until your heart is convicted by the Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Some of the people in the church, you can't handle this kind of language. But I'm telling you, if we're going to reach the culture, we've got to let them know that God loves them and that we're going to remove their aloneness until Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, removes their fallenness. I'm here to tell you today, guys, I'm telling you, just trust me. If you want to be a church that's going to make a difference in LaGrange, we've got to do something different because what we've been doing ain't working. So I'm trying to tell you today, man, we believe, no, we actually say you, you, you matter, you belong to us, become like us. I know you can't, you need Jesus. So we got to do this. Can you imagine a church well, when people walked through the door, they understood that they were valued immediately. That we weren't worried about their sin first and foremost. We are about the value of who they were as a person. Do I want people to know about their sin? Yeah. See, the gospel has to pre- be preached in the context of love, or we just produce Pharisees. Us are not free in this. Think about it. The reason some of us are not free in this room is because everybody made it about your sin. And now you don't know what to do when you sin. You don't know about a God of grace. And you're going to make sure other people don't know about that God of grace too. 
So a church that walks with people as they're learning their value, a church that's investing in people as they hang out and do life and, and want to become like us. People, listen to me, I want to invite lost people on mission trips. I know it's going to blow your mind. Why? Because they're going to get to hear me share the gospel 100 times a day, and hopefully through that they'll be saved. That's why. People want to make a difference. So I'm saying, hey, you want to make a difference? Hey, come with me to El Salvador. Let's make a difference. And they hear me preaching in the churches, hear you preaching in the churches, hear you loving people, leading people to Jesus. Man, I want to do that. Well, who do you say that he is yourself? We've got to think differently to reach the culture of people. I know, I know you might not be ready, but I'm telling you, this is why God has sent me to this church. What happens in a church like this? Can you imagine a church like the one we've just talked about? Can you imagine how it would turn the Grange upside down? Jeremy, I want you guys to come, and I want to tell you today, man, as we wrap this puppy up, that a number of years ago, he was this artist, and he was making this great, great big old statue, and this, behind it, he had painted a mural behind the statue. And everybody kept coming in and looking at it, and everybody kept thinking about it and kind of trying to figure out what he had done wrong, the little things that he hadn't finished yet. And so one day, one of his friends came in, and his friend said, you know, all I really see so far is just a big blob. I don't really think I see anything on that mural, and I'm not really sure what this statue is. And that's when the artist himself said something. He said, when you look at the picture and when you look at the statue, you only see what is there. But when I look at it, I see what it's going to be. Church, I know we're not there. And I'm going to tell you this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to preface it with that. If this is not where you want to go, this is not how you want to do church, you are welcome to leave. But we are not fighting about this. We are moving ahead with or without you. I don't have time to come down off the wall. I'm moving ahead. And I'm going to lead the church to do the same. And all I'm going to ask you is, if you can't agree, please leave in peace. Don't stick around here and cause trouble for those of us who want to push on. Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement with John Mark. And it's okay to have disagreements and for people to go their separate ways. But whatever you do, don't be divisive in this church. Enough is enough. This is where we're going. I wonder, do you want to go with me? This is where we're headed. We're going to love people. So remember, when you look at us, this is not who we are. This is where we're going. We haven't got there yet. But praise God, we will. One person at a time. Now, as I begin to go into this time of invitation, some of you are saying, hey, what do you do during that time of invitation? We just call people to respond. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit of God may be saying in your heart, one thing that I do know, and I want to say to you just crystal clearly from my heart maybe the Lord Jesus has spoken into your heart this morning says who do you say that I am he's the only one who's got the words of eternal life 
He's the only one who can forgive. He's the only one that can make you new on the inside. If you've never truly put your faith in Jesus to forgive you of your sin, to make you new, to make you right with God, today is a great day to do that. Some of my friends are going to be up here, Pastor Justin and some others will be up here to receive you. If you're thinking, man, I need this Jesus. I I want this Jesus. You can just come up here and grab us by the hand or just stand in front of us, whatever you want to do, and just say, I need Jesus, and we'll gladly lead you to him. Others of you, maybe today is a great day for you to say, hey, you know what? I want to get on board. And you just kind of commit there in your heart. Jesus, this is where you're taking this church, man. I want to go. I'm all in. But then can I be as bold to tell you this? Maybe some of you need to come and make things right with some other people. But let me pray. When I'm done praying, you'll stand to your feet and we'll respond as God leads. Jesus, I'm so thankful today that you've been way ahead of me. That your Holy Spirit is going to and fro and you will lead people. You will lead them home. Have your way, oh God. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.